Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to your favourite football podcast. This is Ranks FC back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'm really excited about this episode because I've got to say that not only is our transfer guru Mr Dean Jones here. How you doing mate? I'm good mate. I'm good. I'm excited too. I know but he's back. The head coach of the Ranks FC football club. Mr. Harry Bricks, how you doing, mate? Yeah, hey. I'm good, thank you, lads. Thanks for the invite again. Uh, I'm trying to think of new ways that you can in- introduce me, Jack, because I think you're going to have to run out soon, mate. 
I don't know. We'll work it out. Age, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll see. We'll see how things pan out. But right now, it's uh, I'm not. I'm not quite feeling myself at the moment. So um, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll get around to it. But don't worry. The introductions will get better. We're going to be talking, Harry, about some interesting trends today that maybe you've picked up across the opening course of the season. It's always a fun episode. Um, but I, I think it's one that we can just get stuck into a few bits that maybe people haven't quite noticed or or maybe given the full credence it deserves and and your list on this i'm i'm really excited about hearing yeah it, it's sort of like it's very relevant to kind of a lot of it's what i'm sort of doing every day if that makes sense it's very much delving into a lot of the, the trends anyway delving into things that i'm sort of experiencing as a coach um as an analyst with players i work with so um yeah it'll be good fun looking forward to it yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we do that, though, I want to get into Tottenham Hotspur because as regular listeners will know, you're a Tottenham fan. And what a start to the season it has been for Spurs under Ange Postacoglu. Now, there were plenty of people who had reservations about this appointment. Yeah, <laughs> not at least Dean up here. Um, but eating my words, mate. I'm eating my words. It's been about as good a start as I think anyone could have possibly hoped for. How have you felt as a Spurs fan and as someone who obviously understands the, the kind of coaching intricacies of what he's brought to the table? Watching Spurs feels like it's been a bit of a delight so far this season. I mean, yeah, the, the best compliment I can give him is that a stubborn old git like me can feel like a fan again. And that's what he's done. He's made me feel like a fan again. He's made me feel like that, you know, brought me back to when I was like, you know, a 14-year-old lad going to, going to the games and, um, you know, just living every moment of it you know I was at the I was at the game on Saturday and I went ballistic when they when they scored the winner and you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know after they've scored the winner I'm on my haunches you know like almost like coaching the team from however many tears back is um and, and I think that's the best compliment I can give him um you know the first thing that a new manager has to try to get right and I think you're seeing that with other clubs is that you've got to get the culture right now again they're not of course, that is not just their own um, responsibility, but they are the sort of the mouthpiece for the club in a sense. They're the ones that connect the players to the fans. They're the ones that connect the club to the fans. A lot of it. So, I mean, with what he's done with that in terms of the culture already, is extraordinary. Now, listen, managers have good starts, and it's going to become a rough patch. And I think that listen, I, I back him as a manager to to, to get through that rough patch. Certainly, um, emotionally and. Um, in terms of who he is, um, whether the club do, whether the fan base do, I think that maybe they will this time. I think that they've that, that they can see what the what the long term goal of this is. But that's just the, that I think that's the most impressive thing. It's, it's the culture. You know, you can be the you can be the best coach in the world. You could be the best tactical mind. Have all the all, all the things kind of going for you in that sense. But if the culture's not right, if you can't get the club sort of aligned, pushing together. Very, very difficult. Very, very yeah. difficult to succeed. Do you know what? I, I really like the fact that it goes to show what good coaching can do too and how like it, you don't have to just go and spend money on people. The fact that Matasar and Bissouma can be given new confidence in themselves. Like obviously, like these this is what always amazes me about football clubs. Like you sign these players who are obviously like top, top players. And if it, things don't work out at some point, they're made out to sound like they're mugs and they should be sent off to like some other league that's not worthy of being the Premier League. And he, they're just forgotten. And then suddenly Ange comes in in pre-season, like Basuma's in this role and Papa Matasar's playing. And you're like, 
will he persist with this in the actual season? And you can see, like, he clearly had this identified, like, what he liked in those players. Didn't care about, like, names. Didn't care about what your reputation was there and then. He liked what they could bring to his system, and he went for it. Like, that takes quite a lot of bottle, too. I think that's a, I think that's a huge thing. Like, you know, as a manager, it's so difficult when you've got so much outside noise around you about this, about that, and you've got to have this unwavering belief in your own um, ideas. Now, that's not to say that you aren't going to adapt. Of course, managers have to adapt every day. You have to learn every day. But you have to have this unwavering confidence in in your ability. So, you know, Matasar is a perfect example. If you believe he's the right man for your team, you're going to have the confidence to do that. Now, the danger of that, as you know, is that let's say it's not the great start. It's one of those things. I think that's a lot of times, like, not to relate to Chelsea, but I think that's a lot of the time when perhaps young, fantastic talent have all, always been given the opportunity to, to do well there because, yeah. you know, if you're a team that's aiming to win the title and you miss out on said objective by three, four, five points and you've played a bunch of youngsters, people are going to point to that and go, well, what are you doing? Like, if you played an experienced head, we would have had those extra five points, you know, which yeah. could well be nonsense. But, you know, you, you, so it's almost like you're not allowed to fail by trying things. You're, you're allowed to fail as long as you, you know, do the things that people will expect you to. Um, and I think it's just, as you say, it takes that bravery to do that and that courage to do that. And at the moment, you're reaping the wards. Now, tough times aren't going to come. And I think he said this throughout. It's all part of a, I hate using this word, all part of a process. Um, mm. But that is vital, you know, and it's important not to become too high when it's good. And not too low when it's good, and I trust him to do that. But it's down to the club as a collective to to be on that same page as well. Yeah, I mean, final one before before we move on to this, the main segment of this, Harry. But the way that he handles himself and in press conferences, the way that he utilizes the media, and you know, there there are lots of different ways of doing this. But very rarely have I seen someone be able to be so amiable and so headstrong at the same time. And it's like, you know, he's able to walk that line, walk that tightrope in between kind of being very friendly, but also being like, no, no, this is my point I'm getting across. And I think we've seen with the Richarlison stuff, especially this weekend, and Dean and I were talking about this on Monday, the comments that I thought were unbelievable were not the, there were some lovely things in there, but generally I thought the bit that he said, look, it wasn't me to go and speak with him. I'm a football manager. I'm not a psychologist. He said, my job is to create an environment where people feel comfortable, safe and secure on the pitch. And then they're able to go to specialists in specific fields if they feel they need help in other aspects of their life. And I was watching it going, what, what a smart man. What, what, what are the kind of emotional capacity to understand not only your strengths but also your limitations and to be like no no no, my job is to do this and also then be able to platform people to find help elsewhere it just really struck a chord with me in that you know so so much of the world is is trying to be everything to everyone mm. and his ability to just be like no i know about football i love football i love watching you know making teams play attractive sides and trying to get fans back on board but equally i know that i'm maybe not the best person to have a conversation with someone about their mental health in this capacity especially if it's related to off-field matters it just is the kind of latest in a line of very very smart comments i thought from postcoglu in terms of just turning things around and and building something people can trust 
Yeah, 100%. Well, first of all, don't worry. I listened to the podcast yesterday, lads. Don't worry about that. I'm an avid listener uh, every week, every week without fail. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're spot on. And it's that emotional intelligence. He just he just looks like a, he just gives the vibe of just a good man, a good person that knows what he's doing. There's no fluff. There's no narrative. It's just honest. It's good work. And it's about, it's prioritizing things that, that are, important and you know as you said like you're you're putting people of expertise and allowing them to to flourish as well not just the players but you know the people around him the coaching staff and 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 you know a psychologist whether it's a the, the one that's employed by Tottenham Hotspur or outside but yeah it's just it's divert it's divert it's you know it's putting roles into like to get the best out of people and I think it's excellent so far and even you know what I love that he said at the weekend was you know I think um he was asked, do expectations have to be tempered? And 99% of managers say, yes, you know, we're, we're not there yet. We have to do this. And he just said, no, let the fans enjoy it. Like, let them believe. And like, you don't usually get that because managers want to protect their own egos. And when you say things like that, you kind of make a rod for your own back. You know, oh, well, he said we can, it gets twisted. Oh, he said we can win the league. We can be the best. And now if he doesn't, it's a failure. So like, no, just let, let us do our work and if the fans want to believe, let them believe. It's all part of it. You know, I think he understands. He seems to really get what football at the root of it is supposed to be about. And that is a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar to the comments at Celtic. You know, it was like, we're trying to entertain people. People pay their hard earned money to come and watch this team. You know, it's our job to make sure that they go home happy and not just in terms of winning, but also in terms of entertaining. Uh, but we'll leave it there on Spurs and Antipostal Glue because I really could go all day. Um, but we have plenty to get through. In the main segment, we're talking about some interesting trends that we've seen over the start of this season. Don't go anywhere. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, 
Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main segment. And I'm delighted so I could just hand the floor to Harry here because <laughs> this is a man in control in the know who knows this format better than <laughs> anybody else. So, Harry, all yours, my friend. Good, this me. I've been given the reins. Wow. All right. You know, next time, guys, maybe I'll just do it all on my own and you guys. <laughs> we'll just set up the stream next time, mate, and you yeah, just take yeah. it for an hour. You yeah. can just have an hour of, of chatting directly to people. Yeah, no, to be honest, when, when you sent me this format, Dean, I was quite excited about it because it's things that a lot of it is things that I'm um, involved in every day, you know, with the coaching analysis of players that, you know, at, at uh, professional football clubs. So, yeah, I think that, you know, one of the, one of the main trends that I want to talk about is, and I've said this for a long, I've said this since I've started coaching. I've always said this. Um, and the number one is players aren't positions. Um, mm. I think a lot of people get caught up on right winger, left winger, number 10, attacking midfielder, defensive, whatever it is. And now it's inverted fullbacks. And it's not the case, in my opinion. Players have never been positions, you know. Players are players. And you can have a left winger like Jack Grealish, or on paper, who is a very different style of left winger to Doku. Um, yep. It's not about what positions these players are. It's about, okay, what are they good at? And how can we best utilise them? If you want to call that a number 10, if you want to call that a high eight, if you want to call that an inverted fullback, then whatever. But players are positions, players are players. And for me, the best managers, the best coaches are able to best utilise those players to enhance the strengths and lower their weaknesses. Now, there's been a recent trend as well of speaking about players being more positionally versatile. I don't think players nowadays are more positionally versatile. I believe it's the coaches using them to be more positionally versatile. So if we go back when I was a kid watching football, you know, yes, players were perhaps, or players were given more freedom to do what they do best. So let's say Ryan Giggs. Now, Ryan Giggs was utilised for what Ryan Giggs does. He would, when he was younger, be able to take the ball and dribble past players. When he was getting old and the legs went, maybe find passes more. But if you put Ryan Giggs at left-back, he'd know what to do. He'd figure it out. If you put Ryan Giggs as a number six, you'd know what to do, you'd figure it out. But back then, players were allowed to be players and managers would prioritise getting the best out of their players and their stars and letting them do what they want. Nowadays, it's twisted to become, a, not twisted, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's now more and more about what the coach wants. So it, rather than the player dictating sort of how the game goes, the coach dictates almost everything now, by and large. And now what coaches are having to do is they're having to develop new ideas for ways that their ideas can, you know, outdo the opposition manager or the opposition team. And the way they're doing that is by getting players that are, you know, playing in different areas. But it doesn't mean the players are more positionally versatile or more versatile. It just means they're having to be utilised as that in comparison to 20 years ago. So I think that it's still a bit of a misunderstanding in terms of how the game is going. I don't think players are more positionally versatile. I think that players 
are still being developed to nowadays to learn the game in a very robotic fashion. So yes, they'll play in different positions, they'll play in different roles, different formations, but it will all be under the guise of you do it in this way from whatever mm-hmm. the coach is wanting or the club is developing. And that's why you'll see players come through. That uh, Yes, they've learned how to play in different positions, but under a very set way of playing, depending on what club you're at. Whereas 20 years ago, it was, you'd say to your best players, obviously there's more structure to this, but go play football in a way. You know, learn the game mm-hmm. accordingly. There'll be less tactical restraint on those players. They'll be allowed to figure out for themselves. So just because you're seeing players nowadays perhaps play more positions doesn't mean they're more positionally versatile. You know, players have never been positions. And I personally believe that 20 years ago, the the, the better footballers were more rounded perhaps than they are nowadays or certainly had more special individual quality and creativity. Nowadays, you're probably seeing that the, 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 the bare minimum, the floor is probably raised in terms of player quality. You know, there's probably less disparity. Um, but yeah, that's probably the number one that I'd speak about is that players aren't positions and I'm not sure about players becoming more positionally versatile, more just that managers are having to utilise players in different ways to find new ways to outgun the opposition manager. I found it really interesting recently, and I think it's probably a similar kind of topic, the kind of thing that Arsene Wenger was talking about when he released his quotes as head of global development at FIFA, and he was talking about lots of different things. One of the things he was he kind of focused in on or zeroed in on was he was like, we don't have park players anymore. Yeah. And, you know, when you learn to play football in a park, you learn to adapt to the situation on the fly. Yeah. And I know this is something you've brought up, you know, on this podcast before, but that lack of ability to maybe make those decisions because players are so coached into a system. Now, obviously, there are certain places where this works to a T and Manchester City are currently treble winners. So there is, a, you know, a, a, a bit of both going on here, but not everybody has the capacity to one coach like Pep to create tactical systems like Pep that work in such effective ways. And and three, kind of have the players of that sufficient quality to be able to work those automatisms, you know, regularly pay off. And I think elsewhere, as that tree is dripped down, I suppose, from, from kind of Guardiola's school of thought, there's a lot of teams now, and we talk about this and we see it in the championship a lot. There's a lot of play, people now trying to play Pep football in the championship. And unless you are a side who have a better team than everybody else within your division, it's quite difficult to play that way because it leaves you very, very exposed. And actually the bounce back from that tactical fallout is often, I think, linked to something like this, Harry. Yeah, and I think there's just, I think there's often a major disparity in terms of what how players have been developed and then what they're asked to do. So people nowadays want to see their centre-back be good on the ball and, you know, play out. But then it doesn't work if by the age of 10, they were told you're only allowed to make this pass or that pass and, you know, you're only allowed to do this or... On the other end of the spectrum, no, don't play with it there. Was it wouldn't don't surprise if by the age of eighteen, he's just had this fear of or not being able to do certain things ingrained into him, or only be able to do specific things. So, I just think there's this disparity, and I think that you know it has, and it will probably go in onto onto the next point of um or the next trend of of overcoaching, which is kind of what we're sort of alluding to here, and it's just that thing of not allowing a player to learn the game broadly. And I don't know whether it's a lot of it is a coach's ego. I don't know if it's because that is what people view the current cycle of football as the only way to be successful. I think you know, I think there's a bit of that. I think that because certain people are successful, you sort of start to see that people have this idea that the only way to then be successful is to 
copycat them. And and it's not the case, you know, it's not Pep Guardiola's fault. He's doing what is best for his team. It's down to others to have their own ways. And listen, of course, no one flat out copies Pep. You, 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 you know, the best coaches have to steal ideas and, and take things, you know, you've got to give coaches a bit more credit and manage a bit more credit than to just say they're copycats. Um, but you can't ignore the overall influence. And I just think that, you know, this modern thing about the players are now, our oh, players are more positionally versatile. It's amazing. Look at this trend. It's like, well, no, players have always been able, players years ago used to be able to do different roles. You know, it's just for whatever reason highlighted because of certain aspects, you know, people are now talking about Pep Guardiola playing four centre-backs. You know, it was a little bit less fashionable when Tony Pulis was doing it at the Stoke, wasn't it? But he played with four centre-backs in the back four. So, you know, it's not about reinventing football, you know, and I just think that this is probably like a, whether it's a trend that I think is a bit of a myth or whatever that is, but it's something that I think that is, again, just not quite understood in the same way that it is and perhaps giving a bit too much over-the-top credit to things that, you know, that, you know, Philip Lom was coming in field from when he just started playing yeah. football as a fullback. You know, players are players and they're not positions and it's about best utilising them. So, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold is not a fullback. He's also not a midfielder. He is Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, you know, you've seen when he moves into midfield, you've seen some of the amazing things that he's good at. You've also seen some of the major weaknesses that he has when he does that thing, you know, and that's the same thing when he's at fullback. So forget about positions. It's just about what have I got on my plate? What have I got with me? How can I coach, obviously, but how can I best utilize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that takes us nicely on to whatever in number two where it may be, Harry. Yeah, well, I put it at number four, but I guess the way we've uh, put into it, it's probably best to, to, to bump it to number two, and that is over coaching. And I think that... I think that generally speaking across the board, and again, I can only speak from my perspective of sort of like individual coaching, um, not coaching a team at a professional level, you know, or, or even a semi-pro level. I don't do first team coaching. Um, but I can only look at the perspective of the way it's gone and the way players are being developed. And there is definitely a situation now where similar to what we've just said, players are now being utilize and told to do things based on how the coach views football and years ago it wasn't so much that it was as you know jack alluded to earlier part football or players being allowed mm. to figure out themselves there wasn't this major tactical regiment or restraints on them and i think that obviously years and years ago it was perhaps they needed more coaching more structure but i think it's gone too far now and too far into structure and over coaching and you can see players are just when you work with them, quite often they lack a personality. They lack an ability to think for themselves. You'll tell them something that's extremely basic and easy to understand. They're like, oh, I've never sort of had that before. You know, yeah. they're, learning, they're learning about the game in a, in a very um, tactical way, in a very strict setup way. Even little basics, like there's players that I've worked with, you know, in a high-level football club, and, and a coach has never even shown them how to jockey properly you know, as a defender, like the basics of individual improvement. It's all about how can you improve as a player within my setup, as in the coach's mm -hmm. setup. And it's like, well, yeah, but so that's what I mean by the overcoaching is the overcoaching in terms of how the coach views the football, how the coach views football. And that's all well and good, but let's just hope that he remains your coach for your entire career. Chances yeah. are 
that's not going to happen. So, you know, you need a, you know, and I'll, and I'll use Man City as an example now. I'm not knocking Man City's academy. Um, and you can pick other clubs with this. You can pick Arsenal with this in their way of doing it. You can pick Spurs in their way of doing it. Um, they have a way of doing it, which is great. But their way is very much mirrored to the first team. Now, I watched um, their under-18 um, league final last year versus West Ham. And you look at the West Ham forwards and they're being tasked with learning on a consistent basis how to do forward things. So how to play mm-hmm. across the forward line, how to play back to goal, how to play facing goal, how to link play, how to get into the box, how to do things like that. You look at the Man City forward and... He was only ever going to touch the ball if the ball was given to him in that set pattern of play, that set way of playing. So he probably touched the ball far less than the West Ham forwards. Now, mm-hmm. Man City won the game. Fine. What's the overall objective? Now, if that Man City forward stays at Man City for the rest of his career and plays into the first team and that exact way of playing, fine. Happy days. What are the chances of that? The chances of that are that he's not going to play for Manchester City. The chances of that is that he's going to then go on trial elsewhere. And now he's going to go on trial to Middlesbrough, Bolton, yeah. Chelsea, Tottenham, wherever it might be. And now they're asking him, okay, well, can you spin the defender and get him behind? Can you, you know, run the channels? Can you link play over longer distances? And he's like, oh, I've never had, I've never done those things. I've never done that, yeah. And it's and it's a problem for him. Now, I'm not looking at Man City. That's the way of doing things. And, and you don't have to play for Man City. But I just think that there is a massive trend of clubs like that developing players and how they see it. And I don't know, I think that you develop players in terms of allowing them to become better footballers. And of course, the ultimate, I guess, is to play for their first team. But why can't you develop a player that has the understanding of how to play for their team, but also understands football in a very broad sense? I don't see why you can't do both. In fact, I know you can do both. But I just think you're starting to see an overcoaching trend in terms of players that are being developed, how to play in very specific systems, but perhaps not learn the game broadly. Yeah, I mean, an example that kind of comes to my mind here would be, say, Cole Palmer, right? So he's he started the season at Man City playing a very set style of football. He scored a couple of important goals. Um, ultimately, Man City have decided that like the chances of him being a key part of what they do is very slim. They can get a lot of money for him. And if he wants to play regular first-team football, then... They can't promise him that. So he obviously has a look around, sees what's available. There were some other lower Premier League teams coming in terms of status, but Chelsea obviously come to the table. Now, he was criticised a little bit for his performance at the weekend, but I'm thinking, well, hang on, he's he's playing in a totally different team here. A team that barely knows each other, by the way, at Chelsea now. Like Man City, you've got this foundation that's, that's set into style of play, but also... In the like key figures of the team, like you know, even if it's not the exact personnel of a Gundogan, it's got someone that's doing that role. At Chelsea, like I don't really even know at the moment what Chelsea are trying to do. To be honest, like you watch each game and it seems a little bit different. But how how can players like Cole Palmer adapt, and how long would you expect it to take for someone like that to adapt? Yeah. Now every situation is different. So where I'm speaking about, I'm speak, I was speaking, and it was sounding very broad. It's always like this. Listen, there'll always yeah. be, you know, plays that go against the grain in all senses. Sure. I'm just talking about general trends. And some, and again, so Cole Palmer, if he was 
picked up and put into a team where a lot of his roles might have been similar or perhaps there was more of a of a uh, consistency to how they were playing then it might take less time to, to to it might take less time to settle he's been picked up and put into a chelsea team that right now are figuring out what they are where they're going to be trying to find new ways of doing things developing what so many new relationships and combinations there's so much change that's been at that club so mm-hmm. how are you supposed to do that the only way you're going to do that is if you are an individual that can be like, well, I, I get football, right? And of course, all of these players, they get football, of course they do. But it's not it's not me insulting them to say that they've been developed to play to view football in a very specific way. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it would take him to go like, well, okay, I've had this development for all my life and this is going on right now. But in this moment here right now, I know what to do. I can make it work. I can either go do it on my own or, oh, if I see that Sterling is a player that likes to receive it that way, I can pick it up immediately. If I can yep. see that Gusto is a player that likes to receive it like this, I can pick it up immediately. And of course, these are fantastic footballers. There'll be elements of that. But there is no question, in my opinion, there are less of them because they're being developed in terms of, you know, Copan would have been, you know, shoehorned into developing a certain way of like, this is what I do when this happens, this is what I do when this happens. And it's like, yeah. now those things aren't happening. So are you able to adapt? Now, I think Copan is a phenomenal footballer. I back him to be able to adapt, but it does make things much, much harder for these players when they have to go and now it's new ways they've got to figure out on their own or new ways of playing and things like that. Yeah, You get the odd players that are just footballers and they almost transcend the tactics. They almost like, they get the tactics, they'll of course do it, they'll be a part of it, but they're not beholden to it. And I think someone like James Madison has proven throughout his career that he's like that. So yeah, you can like, get James Madison to do whatever they the team wants, but he's going to do what James Madison wants. And yeah. I think there's far fewer of those players nowadays that are able to do that. So probably to pick them both up, you probably, if you put James Madison into the team and take Cole Palmer out, this isn't knocking Cole Palmer, but you'd probably say James Madison do better and help Chelsea more because he is that player that can just be like, well, I'm a footballer. I know what I'm doing. I can interpret situations at this moment mm. and play with that kind of freedom. And the way that players are being overcoached nowadays into certain setups, it is decreasing the number of those players out there and the ability for players to problem solve. Got you. Yeah, nice one, mate. What you got number three? Well, yeah, probably a, a good interlude into a trend that hasn't happened yet, but I think we're starting to see them come out the works a little bit again. And I think you'll ha- definitely hopefully see it more and more, and that is the re-emergence of the Mavericks. Um, and again, this is all very linked in terms of what we're saying. Um, yeah, lovely, lovely. Yeah, and I think that because of this overcoaching fashion, because of this, I don't want to say overcoaching as if it's wrong. It's not. It's, it's, it's just trends in football, it's cycles. And I'm saying about the overcoaching right now in terms of how a coach wants his team to play, develop players to play their way of playing. But what you'll see is that it's coaches trying to make football into one plus one equals two, uh, a formula. If ABC happens, you know, DEF should be the result. And that is, those are things that opposition managers can plan for. They can say, okay, they want to do ABC. So we've got to put a block on to make sure they don't do DEF and things like that. And I think you're starting to see managers and coaches because there's so much out there in terms of analysis, video analysis and, watching games back and data and all that kind of stuff, you're seeing more and more of coaches and managers, um, uh, you know, um, 
trying to think of the correct word, but count, countering each other out, you know, cancelling each other out, I should say, because you can plan for what they're going to do. So how do you get out of that? You have to have things that cannot be planned for. And the things that cannot be planned for are the plays that can go all of a sudden, where did that come from? Or what did he do that? And I think you're starting yeah. to see a bit more of an emergence of those players. They've always been there in the same way. They'll always be tactically regimented players. And there was 20 years ago. And But I think you're going to start to see more of a trend of these players have to come through and have to be developed. At the moment, they're not giving the foundations to develop by and large. So let's see if they do come through. But you're definitely going to see a trend, I think, where they have to. And the ones that do come through the cracks and do make it through are starting, are going to like, you know, become major players. And I think, you know, for me, the second best player in the Bundesliga is Xavi Simmons. And he has those aspects about him. That player that's just like, I'm a top tier footballer. I'm going to do what I do. And you can see teams can't live with him. They can't mm. live with him. He can ball carry past him. He can, he can lock pick against him. He can evade them with disguise. And, you know, he has a bit of intensity to him. Again, we've already moved to James Madison. They can't deal with him because we're planning for this setup. Of all of a sudden, James Madison's popped up there, and now he's popped yeah. up there, and now he's turned one that way, and then he's played the first time past that time. How do we plan for it? You can't. So I think you're going to start to see these players, whether they do or not, but they're going to have to come through more and more to give managers the advantage, and they're going to have more and more success. Mm, that's interesting, and and I think it's it's true, and I like I like the fact it kind of relates to the players not being positions because I think yeah. you can have a Mavericks from, you know, obviously a number ten sort of role, but they that is not necessarily true, is it? It doesn't have to be strictly like you've got to be in this role just behind the forward. You can definitely be deeper lie, and like you see the, well, the way that Madison drops back now and links up plays, pretty much doing the off ball work that Kane used to do when he dropped back, yeah. but he's also now looking. I, I like the Madison Son link up that we were seeing when they played Burnley. Yeah. I mean that was just different class and and you don't see a lot of that in the Premier League at all. So it would be great to see more of it. Yeah. And you know, you said just there, it's spot on, but it doesn't have to be number 10. I remember years ago, Lucio, how many times did you see Lucio at centre-back driving forward? You know, John Stones wasn't the first one to do this, you know, and Lucio wasn't the first one to do this. It's players that are interpreting at the right moment. And of course, I'm not saying a centre-back is a maverick, but it's about just a player interpreting what the right thing to do is at that moment and being, and having the freedom yeah. and being allowed to express themselves in that way. And you're going to have to see an emergence of those more and more. They've started to come back more regularly and perhaps wide players. So you even see Man City signing players like Doku now because yeah, in appreciate you have to have that player that can, you know, um, go against the grain and and, and, flair, yeah. and undo and undo the planning made for the, the tactical setup. Um but- but Sorry, think- just while you're well, before I forget to say this, like on yeah. the flip of that, you've got someone like Jaden Sancho who seems yeah. to have had that knocked out of him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Jaden Sancho's Jaden Sancho's, I think, has always been misprofiled as a player. Um, he's always been profiled as this elite one v one winger that can go past players, and he's never been that. Jaden Sancho's been a very intelligent footballer that can open teams up through combination play and one twos on the edge of the box and his use of speed and his awareness and his vision and things like that. Mm. And same thing with hudson Odoi. You know, hudson Odoi yeah. like, used to be explosive, but he's always been a, almost like a playmaker, like, you know, yeah. he, 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 things like that. And yeah, I think that players like Sancho and hudson Odoi and, you know, let them play football, you know, let them give them foundations to, to make things happen. To, but again, this, you must do this at this time. It just, it just pigeonholes these players and, 
It limits them, doesn't it? Yeah. It works for a lot of great players. It works for De Bruyne. I don't think De Bruyne is creative in the sense of he will do different things and things. Oh, I didn't expect that to come. He's creative in the sense of creating chances. But if you can close your eyes and picture what De Bruyne is going to do, I guarantee you, everybody that watches him is going to have, you know, three or five of the exact same moves in their head. You know, that, that, so he's not, he, he doesn't, so, but that suits him, right? That suits his character. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that way of playing. I'm just saying that, you know, as as um, as the trend of overcoaching in terms of, um, or there's the trend of the managers dictating as much as they can in terms of how the game goes, you're going to have to start seeing more and more of the um, players that can take the game and play it their way and, and interpret on their own in terms of what to do. I think it's really interesting in terms of, you know, seeing how different managers respond to this as a, as, as something that emerges as yeah. well. And and one of the ones that stands out for me is Joao Felix, obviously going to Barcelona. And we've seen Joao Felix really struggle under a disciplinarian manager in, in Diego Simeone and not be given that freedom to kind of basically do what he needs to do to to explode and to shine. And actually kind of when you flip that, you know, what we're seeing from this system, now obviously it changed a little bit against Betis at the weekend, but I was intrigued by what Barcelona did with, with the extra man on the left being Gavi and then playing basically in a, in a 4-4-2. Now, as you say, these players aren't positions, but it does, I think, in that regard, give them a little bit more license for that front two not to necessarily have to do the defensive work that they might be expected to in the traditional Barcelona 4-3-3. And it's something we've seen before with obviously Lionel Messi on, on that right-hand side. But suddenly, you know, you watch Joao Felix in that opening game against Betis and he's playing, smile in his face, joy, throwing dummies around, carrying the ball. And we talk about these, these Mavericks. Felix has always been that for me. And when you don't give him the opportunity to do that, as he wasn't given really at Atleti, and then again at Chelsea where he was sort of being asked to do various different things last year, you watch him in a game like that and you're like, ah, that's what he can do. That's why someone paid £100 million for him. But if you pay £100 million for a player, you have to put them in a system to succeed. And I think that we might see that now at, at Barcelona this year and watch Felix kind of reignite himself into the player that he was in when he, when he exploded onto the scene at Benfica. I think he's a great example. You know, so many people are like, I don't know what Felix is. I, I can't use him as the, as the nine because he's not a nine. I can't use him as a 10 because he's not a 10. I can't. It's like, he's Jao Felix. You know, what is he really, really good at? Forget about what his position looks like on a piece of paper. Is what is he really, really good at? He's really good at being creative and how he receives the ball, carries it, you know, plays those passes. Let's let him do that then. And let's build the things around. If he is that good and we think he's going to be a difference maker and he's going to be one that helps us go to the next level and he's worth building a team around, well, then let's make sure the pieces are in place around him to get the best out of him. You know, for me, that is that is coaching and that is... A mix of, of course, you don't just go a free-for-all or you don't have to just go for a free-for-all or you can't just go for a free-for-all. But, you know, you do need to have, obviously, a semblance of structure in some way. But the only way to win isn't just to have a manager dictating every aspect. You know, you can be very successful with any setup within reason. And I think you are going to see the players like Jao Felix, Madison, Grealish, although I think you've seen that Grealish, when he's gone to Man City, it's changed his game massively. It's, yeah, I think it's put ceilings on what he can do. Um, you know, you're going to see those players have to become more and more staple points of teams as they 
undo her team's weak preparation in terms of how to to cope with the tactical plays they've got in place. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's roll onwards then, Harry. What's what's up next? Yeah, number four, um, probably the one I'm least well, I'm definitely least familiar with. The one I'm uh, least enthused about is um, <laughs> the influence of data recruitment. Uh, yeah, the data community. Quite a few of them hate my guts. Uh, I don't know why, but they, <laughs> they just do. Um, but there's no argument. There is no argument that data has had an increasing um, growth in football in how players are being um, identified, analysed, which I think is a worry. Um, identified, fine. Analysed, that's a problem in my opinion. Um, and yet yeah, being used to sign players, being used to... Um, Proposition analysis, fine, all those things. And there is no question now that, um, especially when you're seeing the success of teams like Brighton, who, you know, they played uh, May United of the weekend, and I think their team cost, what, £16 million, their starting lineup uh, yeah. around, around those lines. You know, and, you know, everyone knows that they're very data heavy, they're led, they're led recruitment. Um, Brentford as well, very data heavy. Um, and you're seeing these clubs do well. And, I, again, I'm probably going to get the grain here. I don't think that necessarily means that data is the difference. I just think that perhaps more highlights the inadequacies of people's ability to identify players. I don't think that you need data to identify a player. I don't think you need, sorry, no, I don't think you need data to analyze a player, maybe to identify one. You know, you put in the algorithm and you see what comes up in terms of like, similar things that you're looking for. And then, okay, let's have a look at these players. And then, you know, put it this way. If I, I watch Tottenham, right? Or let's, let's pick another example, just, 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 just to change it up. So I've watched a ton of Borussia Dortmund uh, over the, the last few years because of a player I've worked with plays there. Um, I don't need data to tell me about Marco Royce. I know everything about him by watching him, you know, and, that's not being naive. It's just because I've, I've watched a ton of him. I don't know what data could possibly tell me that I don't already know. If anything, it could maybe confuse things. Um, but there is no question that it is being massively utilized in terms of recruitment. And I get that. And I think it's definitely necessary. Um, it's definitely necessary to identify uh, what you're looking for and things like that. And to perhaps um, uncover gems that, you know, you might not have known or seen because, you know, there's access to information about every player under the sun. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there is like a an over-reliance on it, perhaps, or perhaps an over, over-estimating the power of it, I would say, um, overvaluing the power of it. But there is no question that it is, a, that it is a, um, a massive trend that is going up and up and up in football. Yeah, it is. You know what's interesting? I, I, I did a little like self-experiment over the, over the transfer window and I looked at a couple of clubs and I was seeing like who they were linked with, right? And I was like, just I'm not going to use this publicly. I'm not going to like write these stories, but I'm going to look at some stats and like the profiling of these players and see whether if they don't land these players, they're suddenly linked with these players, right? And they were Premier League clubs. The one of them I remember was looking at centre back, so and I was like, right, if they're looking at those two players, they keep being talked about sign, trying to sign these two centre backs. Um, it was like Tadebo and I can't remember the other one, but they were they were looking at these. I was like, okay, so let's go and just quickly look at profiling of players that are in the same age range, the same like size, 
and then let's look at a few things that of the their traits that are that are similar and i bet I'm not too far off with where their next targets are. And honestly, they didn't they didn't sign up any of the players that I'd looked at either, but all of them were linked over the next two months. And whether those links were genuine or not, I don't know. But I hadn't seen these players. Mm. I just found them on the internet in a in a two hour search, just oh, like yeah. sat there on the computer without knowing anything about them. It was like, I bet this is where they're going next then. And then suddenly scary. those names are there, and that's crazy. That's scary. I've done, a, yeah. I've done a similar experiment at the weekend, actually. I'm, I'm going to do this now, a little trend where every week um, I'm going to try and watch a game that perhaps I haven't seen the players playing before and, yeah. and identify a player like the look of. And I've done it at the weekend. I watched Leon versus Le Havre. Leon are an absolute mess. Um, but, yeah, absolute shambles. Yeah, Let's not talk about yeah, the chaos in Leon. Absolute chaos. <laughs> um, but I've never seen Le Havre play. And I like I really like the look of their left wing back, um, mm-hmm. Christopher Perry. Never seen him before. Didn't know who he was. I'll be honest, never heard of him. And then I just done an experiment. Um, you know, there, there's um, I asked um, a coach called Seb, who's on on, on Twitter, who's very good. Um, I asked him to, you know, I'll like just do me a favor. Can you, you the algorithm you use, the pie charts you use? Can you just put it in there? And yeah, it, it, it came up with similar to what I saw. Now, that, there's, there's nothing groundbreaking in that. It, it, yeah, if you see something, then you would hope that the it kind of it's reflected. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but by the same token. You know, a Perry is a very, very good footballer in terms of like very good ball manipulation. Now, if it was, if the data had shown me that um, he is a bad forward passer, I'm not going to change my mind because mm. the data told me that. Because, well, I've just seen he has the, the capabilities, and it might be that perhaps he's not being put in a foundation to play successful forward passes. Maybe there's no, he's got very few options, things like that. There's always context behind it. And I think that whether you like it or not, data ignores a lot of context. It also ignores that there are, there are tangible intangibles that you cannot get from data ever, and that is like a mm-hmm. feeling. So I remember when I went, the first time I ever saw St. Maximan live was when, again, they played Tottenham. And yeah. when the ball went to him in the stadium, the energy changed. It just changed massively. There was like, and it, it seeped into the players on the pitch. The Newcastle players could go five yards higher. The Spurs players would drop five yards deeper. The Spurs fans would get panic. The Newcastle fans would start to get excited, and nothing might not have even happened. Data can't account for that, you know. No. So there's always going to be things that data can't account for. It is very much a necessary tool. I believe it is a great, a great um, tool out there to um, break down things simply when they're needed. Yeah. Let's say you identify an opposition team are weak down their left hand side defensively. Now. If you then also have like data to show how often teams have attacked that side and got success, then it's easy for the players to like compute that, right? It's easy to go, oh, okay, I've seen it there as well. So it, it, it 1,000% has, um, it's very, very necessary. I believe if you can use it, it you'd be silly not to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just worried if, the, and, the, and the trend of it being used and utilized even more will continue. Um, I just, I'm a little bit concerned if it ends up going overboard with, um, how it's used, but you know, I will. I believe that. Yeah. Let's give credit to football clubs and, and and scouts and whoever, and let's say that they're a bit better than just identifying and analysing a player just by putting in some numbers into. Uh, into <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to let's let's give them a bit more credit, but I do think that it does open up the doors for it to be a bit dangerous in how you use it. 
Yeah, I've been yeah, trying I mean, to get a scout on soon, actually, who covers, he works for a Premier League club and he, he scouts in Germany. So hopefully uh, everyone will have will have a bit more on this soon. We'll I understand. Might, I might know him as well, actually. So understand exactly what goes into it, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's about, finding, it's about finding balance, right? As with everything, it's about being able to say, okay, we might not be able to watch every player under the sun, but if we can find 10 players who profile similarly yeah, to someone yeah. that we do like, yeah. then fine, we can go and watch those players and understand them in a bit more depth and detail. Yeah. And I think that sometimes when we talk about clubs like Brentford and Brighton, people kind of almost over kind of overlook the fact that whilst obviously the recruitment is based within the numbers, there is then an entire operation that goes out to make sure that yeah. those things are backed up. This is not an operation where they go, oh, yeah, cool. We looked at the numbers and we're going to bring them in. There's obviously eight or nine parts more to that. And, you know, we've talked about Brighton scouting networks in South America, all of these things on the podcast before. It's about finding the balance between those two things. And that's what's made those clubs kick onwards. That's what's enabled them to find this, you know, incredible array of gems, either lower down in, in the football leagues, in Brentford's case, and then obvious, and, and in Scandinavia, and then obviously in, in South America, in a lot of the time, in, in Brighton's case, they've been able to identify those players, then utilize their networks to be able to get them. And, and that balance is the thing that I think a loads of people overlook when you're looking at Oh, be like, oh, they're a really well, well-run data-run club. We should become a data-run club. No, <laughs> should become a club that examines all the different aspects of something before they go headfirst into buying a player for a lot, a lot of money. Gotcha. And it also necessarily is one of those things that doesn't translate brilliantly, I think, from medium-sized clubs to massive clubs because there is an expectation that you sign players of a certain ceiling caliber headline in order to be able to kick on at the top of the league, at the top of the table, Brian have the, you know, the the kind of space, I suppose, to be able to experiment a little bit in these in these places and be able to have that room for manoeuvre in a way that maybe someone like a Manchester United doesn't. Because if they bring someone in for a million pounds, everyone's going to be like, oh, we're bargain based. It happened with Liverpool this summer. Wataro Endo came in, brilliant player, has a, had a brilliant season at Stuttgart last year, has been a leader in this Japan side for ages. And because they signed him for 13 million pounds or something, everyone was like, Liverpool are base, a bargain basement hunting. Hang on. Like he, no one can win in 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 many regards because if if you bring in players who people don't know and are under you know underrated in that regard, people say that you're not bringing in the big enough names to make a difference. And if you don't, people are like, oh, we're just spending a hundred million pound on a player again. We haven't done any of the we haven't done any of the groundwork. So it's a funny one in trying just finding that balance. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think the worry becomes for me the worry becomes of I have this opinion on a player. Oh, but but the data says this. Oh, maybe maybe that's uh, that's when it's a worry for me. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It should always be used, but it should be used in the context of a far bigger picture. As you've just alluded to, Jack. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Right, let's get to number five, shall we, Harry? Very passionate about this. Um, it is um, the over judging of managers on how they play out from the back. I just do not get it. It's like if you see your goalkeeper pass to your centre-backs within the box on a goal kick. It's almost like people just get it into their heads that they're this progressive manager that does things a certain way and like they are the they are the, no, the next best thing since sliced bread. And it's like, no, no, in my opinion, no. Like, I just find it very strange how 
how much is put on to how teams build out from the back. Now, it is very, very um, important, of course, in terms of how you build out from the back. Of course it is. But it's actually not that hard to coach. It really isn't that hard to coach how you build out from the back. You know, you could get a bunch of good players together, under 18s, that you maybe coached once or twice before, and on the Sunday or Saturday, coach them in their first game, and you can see very clear ideas of how they're going to play out from the back. It's not that hard to coach. The hardest thing to coach in terms of a manager, in terms of team play, is how you create chances. That is how the most difficult thing, and but it so rarely gets ignored in terms of when analysing modern-day managers, how they coach attack. And I don't get it because that is like, that is where the games are won. And again, of course, all of it's important. Of course, coaching, how you play from the back is important. How you coach the second phase is vital. How you coach, how you react when you lose the ball in that regard is is vital. But I just think there's this overindulgence and analysis on like how teams use their goalkeeper and how teams use their centre-backs. And all of that yeah. is vital, but the hardest thing to coach and what I would be judging a manager on in that regard, if you're seen as a progressive manager, I would also the first question I'll be asking is, well, how, how do they coach attack? How do they mm. break a team down that has, at times, 10 outfield players in a block with compactness between the lines? How are they going to move those pieces about? That is very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. So, yeah, I just think there's, there's just there's been this growing trend of, like, how a goalkeeper is utilised in build-up is almost like how a manager is judged, like, almost... Yeah primarily over how they actually create chances in the final third. And I, I find that really strange. Yeah, it's a big problem, especially for emerging coaches who who don't, you know, um, have the years of experience behind them that they could, they could use to get out of these situations. And you hear the murmurs from the crowd any time um, someone passes out from the back, it doesn't go well. So my local team, I went and watched them in the FA Cup first qualifying round, and they always pass out the back. Like, it's, it's always passed out the back. And they gave away a goal to go one nil down. And the keeper basically misplaced his pass a little bit so the defender was on the stretch and ended up like it was a sloppy pass, next one out, and they ended up giving the ball away and they conceded. And it's like, I was like, okay, fine. This, it, they've, they've lost it on that one and they've, they've lost the goal. The people around me lost it. They absolutely lost it. They were screaming at the management team. Both of them are like late 30s co- aged coaches, right? But they're, they're doing everything properly. Um and I spoke to, he's one of my mates, and I spoke to him, I bumped into him a few days later because they ended up losing the game. I was like, mate, like the people around me absolutely lost it. He's like, I can't, I can't deal with it. Like he said, every single game, like this team has been brilliant. They've got like three promotions in a row. They've been flying. Every single game, people are coming up to me. Yeah, love what you're doing, mate, but you just got to stop with the messing around at the back. Get it out of there. Has anyone ever analysed? Like, I'm sure they have, like, if a goalkeeper kicks it long and you're losing position, possession immediately because the centre-back's going to yeah. win his header and probably knock it down to one of his midfielders, in the minute that follows that phase of play, I'm sure plenty of goals have been scored, yeah. but no one's actually yeah. putting it in, into the, the the reams of like, well, it came from the fact we just gave away possession like mm-hmm. needlessly. Yeah. Spot on. And I think like, like I have no issues with how any manager plays. I, You know... If I can build my team from scratch, I would want them to be able to, the goalkeeper to be good on the ball, can play out from the back, can pass to his centre-backs, can pass to his midfielders, can pass to, also pass along. I want, I want to do that. I want to be able to, you know, 
control the ball in an, in a, in, a, in an attacking fashion. What I'm saying is, is like managers almost judged first and foremost in terms of their style, in terms of how they do that. Like almost like, and it's not difficult to coach anywhere near as difficult to coach in comparison to how you create chances. But that is very rarely, if you look at like, even now, so much of like the Antipostokoglu uh, analysis has been on how he uses the inverted fullbacks, how he uses, and it's like how we build out mm-hmm. from the back. And it's like, yeah, those are important. Maybe it's because it's easier to analyze and maybe because yeah. it is easier to coach then people feel more comfortable doing that and talking about that because it's like, you can just tell your goalkeeper, always pass their center backs. And then the second you do that, you're seen as progressive. It's harder to coach attacks, and maybe that's why it's ignored more. It's harder to analyze how you create chances. Harder to analyze for harder sure. Yeah. So maybe that's why it's ignored. But I just think there's this trend of like managers almost not being completely judged on, obviously. But if you're the way you build up in the back is just given so much airtime in comparison to how you create chances, and like the most important thing is how you. People love to criticise that. It's easy to criticise a giveaway goal. Like if, yeah. if you're making an error that leads to a goal against you, then people have something. But they can't, a lot of people, it is hard to read. Like sometimes if you, if you don't like st- like properly look at the game in terms of the build-up plays and how they're trying to get to their joy, like where are they going through each stage of the team or are they skipping yeah. the midfield? Are they, what are the runs like? You know, you've got to watch a game quite closely to see that. And if you're not looking at it and just watching a game casually, you're not really going to identify anyway how your team's trying to get any joy, so you haven't really got any say. And I completely get it because, like, you know, in terms of creating chances in the final third, you have to analyse what happened before that. So you have to analyse yeah. what happened with build-up and in the second phase. Of course you do. It's all part of the machine. But it's about, I just think that so much of it is put onto how they build out and not enough of it is gone about well, how do they actually create chances in when they get to the final third. And that is the hardest thing to do. And I think there needs to be a lot more emphasis when judging managers on how they do that because they just isn't yeah. near enough. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. No, that's good, mate. I enjoyed that. Enjoyed that a lot. Uh, even mm. Jack's learned something there. I've learned loads. <laughs> I had a great time. It's very rare that I'm that the quiet The quietest on a Jack's podcast. ever been during a yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's how interesting I'm, it was, I'm, mate. He just I'm, sat there I'm listening. Just, I'm sitting here with oh, trying to osmosis this one, just like, <laughs> taking all of those all of those knowledge darts I've been throwing around. Um, Harry, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure as ever. And um, we let people know where they can find you if they're tuning in for the first time. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask. I'll actually put it in the little thing there today. So uh, there it is. So it's hbrooks underscore coach. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Harry, mate, it's always an absolute pleasure having you here on Ranks. Ladies and gentlemen, our head coach, Mr. Harry Brooks. Pleasure all mine. Thank you, boys. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for part three, which is going to be a quick one because we've got through so much with Harry today. He's been absolutely brilliant as usual. So do make sure you go in and follow in Harry across all his social medias. Always such a pleasure to have him on the podcast. But Dean, we've got a hot take that I wanted <laughs> okay. to get into this podcast. And it's from Jordan. And he has some pretty strong views on Fede Valverde. My hot take is that Federico Valverde will be will have a greater legacy than that of Diego Forlan, Luis Suarez, and Edison Cavani uh, at Real Madrid and through his career with Uruguay. Um, he definitely has the capabilities. He has the leadership quality. And, I mean, just has the most ridiculous laser long shot to just score goals. And so I definitely think he'll lead uh, Uruguay to international success at one point in his career, whether it's the Copa America or, you know, a crazy run at the World Cup. And so 
I think with a trophy like that and just what he'll get done at Real Madrid, probably being a future captain, his legacy will be greater than all three of those guys combined. <laughs> oh. Oh. There's parts so of this I agree with. There are parts of this I agree with. I think that his legacy at Real Madrid will be better than all of those guys because none of them ever played for Real Madrid. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> what do you put it like that? Uh, uh, they definitely will, but yeah. Um, Let's put some context on this. Luis Suarez is Uruguay's second top appearance maker ever and their top score ever, 68 goals in 137 caps. Edison Cavani is their third top appearance maker ever and second top goal scorer ever with 58 goals in 136 caps. And Diego Forlan is Uruguay's seventh top appearance maker ever and their third top goal scorer in history, 36 goals in 112 caps. Mm. (laughs) That's a pretty big legacy to be living up to. Yeah, I mean, look, he's 25 and he's already got over 50 caps for Uruguay. So that's pretty good. The problem is, like, I'm actually surprised he's 25. I had him a bit younger than that. I don't know why, but I imagine Valverde's like, I know it doesn't make a massive difference, but I thought he was 23. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's already 25. I'm putting this in Real Madrid context, by the way. Okay, because... I consider him like a good Real Madrid player. I don't consider him yet like an essential Madrid player. I know he's very good and like Madrid fans are like probably be angry that I'm even questioning how important he is to Madrid right now. I don't think... I mean, look, Jordan's obviously very, very passionate. To feel that he needs to do a hot take on Fede Valverde shows that he's obviously very tapped into this Uruguayan feel, which I'm obviously not... But from an outsider's view, it's going to take some doing to outshine these people that he is up against. And right now, as I'm sat here, I can't see it. I can't see it. I don't know. I I actually, I I think I agree with Jordan more than maybe some. Look, obviously, I think there is a difference in reputation, you know, depending on where you are. And Suarez's reputation was obviously built on various different things. Like his reputation at Liverpool is pretty good. Obviously, he had an amazing time there, but he left for Barcelona just as he was kind of hitting his peak. I wonder if that takes away from it. Um, Then he went to Barcelona and he was excellent, but kind of as the maybe the smallest part of the MSN trio because of how good Messi and Neymar were. So maybe that kind of hangs over him. Edison Cavani's records at PSG will go down forever but also he seems to have been kind of superseded by killing Mbappe within the, the love of the fan base and Forlan obviously had a little bit more of a nomadic career had great spells at Villarreal at Atletico Madrid but if Valverde stays at Real Madrid for his entire career he said yeah. in February of this year that he'd always wanted to and still wants to become Real Madrid captain you know, he sees himself as a leader in this team. He has been made the Uruguay captain. He was, I think he, he was his first captaincy in sort of March of this year, but he's been made permanent captain of, yeah. of Uruguay now. That's a big statement. And if he can lead this very talented young Uruguay side as it goes through this transition period to a trophy, to a Copa America, then maybe I would go with it. Yeah, problem is Bellingham's going to be captain. So <laughs> he ain't going to get that. Bellingham's the future captain of Real Madrid, so sorry, for, sorry, Fede, you ain't getting that armband, uh, at least not for very long, because Jude wants it. Um, I don't know, uh, no, I'm not having it. I, 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 I like Fede Valverde a lot, 
I don't like him enough to believe that he will outshine those guys uh, by the time his career is done. It's a hard one because obviously as a midfielder, it's harder to... That's the problem. That's kind of the problem. He hasn't got that X factor that sets him apart. Like, obviously, like, forwards are always going to be considered as more important, as more of a superstar. Um, You kind of get this, like, say, like, David Beckham. Like, David Beckham doesn't get the respect from, like, certain generations that he should get and it's probably because he wasn't a goal scorer or he wasn't uh that skill didn't go past it wasn't like Ronaldinho he wasn't going past people as a wide player he just put in crosses and was really good at passing and good at free kicks but and it's kind of like Valverde like because he doesn't like he's not blistering to watch he's not scoring loads of goals he's just really, really good at all the other things that he does do well and bursting yeah. out of midfield. There's also the other thing where he's a sort of used and has been used over the last couple of years as a utility man. He's obviously played on the wing. He's played yeah, he in really different areas of midfield. We've seen him cover at different defensive spots at, at times as well. I, I think that kind of goes against you when it comes to legacy in, in some ways. Now that can change. Obviously, he's got a long way to go in his career and he might be still doing this in eight years' time. But yeah. w- when we look at it right now, I think it's a, I think it's a bold hot take is probably how I'd put it. That's the whole point of it. Uh, we love it, Jordan. Thank you for bringing this up. It's a conversation I've never had before. I'd never even thought of that before. And that is exactly what this segment is for. So people, uh, the well is now dry. So get your hot takes in. At what start, when we started this, we had a, a load come in. We've either used them or they've kind of gone out of date. So get your hot takes in now to Jack's Instagram or on our Twitter or on our Ranks Instagram. Um, we need them and we really? love them. We don't need to like go away. Them. We'd like them as voice notes. That would be great. And we'll uh, we'll discuss as oh, yeah, many as, as we notes. can yeah. throughout the 100%. season. Okay. All right. With that, I think it's probably time, DJ, for us to call it a day. So all's left for me to do. So thank you very much to the head coach, Mr. Harry Brooks, for joining us earlier in this episode. What a guy. It's always <laughs> so nice to have Harry with us. Thank you to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. We will be back later on this week week we'll be back very late on wednesday night early thursday morning if you're in the uk uh, a little bit earlier on wednesday evening if you're in the us looking back at all this week's champions league action we'll be doing the first real champions league takeaway of this season we did one after the draw but this is the first one with any action in it so it's good to be back on that two pods a week hi but then we'll be back on friday on our patreon feed looking forward to the weekend and talking about the europa league action as well well, thank you so much for listening as ever. And we will see you very, very shortly, Rank Squad. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. 
What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 